Welcome to the Seedcast, brought to you by Armor Seed. All right, we want to welcome everyone to the Armor Seedcast today, and we are extremely excited to welcome the Vice Chancellor of Intercollegiate Athletics at Arkansas State University and newly appointed member of the College Football Playoff Committee, Terry Mahajer, to the Seedcast this morning. Terry, thanks for being here. Welcome. Kelly, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Just an opening comment, I guess, about an athletic podcast on a seed cast. Uh, but most people don't realize that farmers kind of get tired of talking about farming this time of the year. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about college athletics and college football. We're actually recording this the Tuesday morning before Thursday night uh, Hall of Fame NFL. So we're really, it's football season. So we're going to have some talk, talk a little bit about college athletics and and obviously talk about Arkansas State. But what I wanted first to do is give you an opportunity, if you would, to kind of take us through your career path and how you got to Arkansas State. Well, first, let me just say this. I'm, I grew up in Kansas City. I was born in western Kansas, southwest Kansas. So farming is a big part of my background. And um, the fact that uh, what I do for a living is feed a lot of large human beings. <laughs> <laughs> on a daily basis. So thank you very much for uh, all the what all the good people listening today uh, do in, in our agriculture business. And uh, can't tell you how, much, how important it is. I know how important it is. Actually, I, I actually uh, tell young people that really don't know what they want to major in is, you know, hey, you got to look at something in agriculture or healthcare. Those two are not going away. People need to eat. And there's going to be uh, healthcare needs, so those are kind of some of the things that I try to help with uh, our young people as they're trying to decide what business they want to partake in. So anyway, uh, some of my background. Well, I grew up in Kansas City. Um, I was born in Western Kansas, a place called Liberal Kansas, and I'm a son of an immigrant. My father came to this country in 1961, uh, so I have a little bit different perspective on life than than and and living in this country uh, more than most people. Not that other people don't know how great of a country this is, but I was constantly reminded all the time how great of a country this really is as a person that came here and uh, built his own business and lived the American dream. And and so, uh, but my dad is Indian. And so my mom's from Indiana. She's a farm girl from Indiana, from Southern Indiana. They met. My dad came over in 1961, and uh, um, he played soccer, which they call it football. He played tennis, swim, and played a little sport called cricket over there. But when he came to this country, he fell in love with a sport called football, <laughs> which I grew up watching football, and. Uh, my team was the Dallas Cowboys. Even though I lived in Kansas City, my team was still the Dallas Cowboys. And I love the Chiefs. I love the Chiefs too, but not like the Cowboys because every I loved Roger Stallback and every number I wore um, in all my little league sports was number 12 because <laughs> of Roger Stallback. And uh, so anyway, I used to watch football with my dad and I became this huge football. And I one day I wanted to play college football. I, that was my goal. I think I knew as a young kid that I wanted to play college football. And anyway, fast forward, I was recruited by Larry Lacewell, which some of the folks that listening may know who he is. Another Cowboys, uh, worked for the Jerry Jones for 25 years, um, was my coach here. And as soon as I got here, I think he realized that maybe he didn't recruit as well and he decided to leave. <laughs> <laughs> he saw me. No, uh, I'm kidding. So he got here and, uh, um, 
and then he left, and then Al Kincaid came here, and I ended up finishing my football career here, um, which was a great experience. Uh, um, after I played ball at Arkansas State, uh, I applied to 70 schools to become a graduate assistant football coach. I never got redshirted, so I still had another year of school left. And so I was an uh, um, intern for student assistant, basically for Ray Perkins. Some people may remember Ray Perkins for being the head coach at Alabama, the Giants. Sure. Um, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks, and so that was a really good opportunity for me, a young guy, to work for a guy that you know had a lot of experience. Um, and he left <laughs> after a year, and so I got applied to about seventy GA jobs back then. You know, I went to the old computer lab at Arkansas State, sent out about seventy resumes, and I ended up getting a GA job uh, thirty miles from the house that I grew up in, in in Kansas City at the University of Kansas working for Glenn Mason, and that's how I got my coaching career started. So I was a student athlete, then I started to coach, and then I got into administration at the University of Kansas, and I went to uh, two other schools, three other school, three other stops. I went to University of Missouri, Kansas City, where we started to help start, uh, took a program from NAIA to Division One. We did that from scratch. That was a really great experience, best thing I ever did. I left a so-called Power Five, or I call it Autonomy Five School, which is a high-resource conference, and then went to... Uh, to the University of Missouri, Kansas City, um, and that was a great opportunity. I learned how to do a lot of things. Then went to Florida Atlantic University, uh, worked for Coach Schnellenberg for seven years, worked with him. Uh, he, I was his development guy, and so I traveled up and down this, the coast of um, – of, uh, um, of Florida and heard every st- Miami hurricane story, Joe Namath story, every Bear Bryant story you can possibly think of. Cause he was Bear Bryant. He was Bear- one of Bear Bryant's prize recruits at Kentucky. And, uh, um, and then he was his first offense coordinator that won the national championship at, at Alabama. And then he went on. And then, so anyway, got to work with him. And then I went back to the university of Kansas, senior associate athletic director, oversaw $50 million of our assets. I was there for about a year and a half. And then I came here back to my alma mater, my school, Arkansas state university. So that's just a little background. Well, we're, we're proud to have you. By well, the way. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel very blessed to be here. Well, it's good. You're doing a great yeah. job and we, we, we appreciate everything you do for the school. Um, I wanted to transition a little bit and talk to you some about just some of the miscellaneous topics or some things that are in my mind. Maybe some other folks would ask just about college athletics in general. Yeah. Uh, we'll obviously spend some time here in a little bit on ASU, but want to talk about college athletics. Uh-oh. I'm yeah. about, here comes a rant. That's right. He's going <laughs> to rant. Uh, but you're a newly appointed member of the college yes. playoff committee. Yeah. That's a very prestigious uh, appointment. So what can you tell us about that? I know there are some things you can and can't discuss from us sure. discussing it in the past, but what can you tell us about it? Give us some give us some interesting things about that. Who have you met? What's some of the interesting things that have come about because of being on that? Well, um, I got the call um, in December that I, I was selected. And Bill Hancock, which is the executive director of the CFP, he used to, for years, he was the guy that oversaw the final fours. And then he was the the chairperson for the BCS. And then he was a uh, appointed by the presidents. There's a separate committee by the university presidents that 
that uh, from the FBS conferences, the 10 FBF conferences. And anyway, Bill Hancock, he's from Kansas City area too. Anyway, I got the call from him last December, and he basically told me this is the this is the most prestigious selection committee that's ever been created, and probably the most and the most important selection committee because of um, the people's background. They really need people that have um, you know experience, players, coaches, you know, have done a lot of things in, in our business. And for me, and a lot of people say it's a lot of work, but you know, uh, I always use the but for. I always say this, but for, but for college football, I wouldn't be where I was today, but for my scholarship, I don't know if I would have gone to college. I don't know if I would have got a degree. Not sure I could have been in the military, which is great. Uh, my dad had those conversations with me. He's like, son, I don't know if you have the grades to go to college. You uh, might want to look at maybe going to the military or something like that. And it was always nice. Never said that, but I got a football scholarship. And because of my football scholarship, I was able to get a degree, come to a great institution like Arkansas State. And then because of football, I got my master's degree because I was a graduate assistant. And then I got to travel around the country, different places, taking my family and getting to learn a lot about our business. And again, it's the but for college football. So I owe a lot to college football. And for me to be selected or asked to be participate in this committee, it was a no-brainer for me. A lot of people might say, oh, that's a lot of work. I was like, I've got to give back to college football for what college football gave to me. And so it was very humbling. Uh, and the fact that the other two guys that got inducted, same class with me, was uh, R.C. Slocum, which he's a, I know you have people listening to this from Louisiana. He's a, he went to McNeese State. Uh, he's a Louisiana boy, but ended up being the Texas A&M coach for years, was under Jackie Sherrill. And the other guy was uh, Ray Ordinero. I think I have that pronounced right, Ordinario. He was a, I think he's a four or five star general. I'm not sure which star. He ran the second Gulf War. Oh. So as I make my decisions in the morning of where I'm going to get coffee, he had a little different decision making over <laughs> his, his past Certainly. career. So uh, the fact that I'm on there with the, those type of folks and, and those uh, guys are uh, really cool. Um, and, you know, some other. We got ADs, the AD from Oklahoma, AD from Florida, Iowa, uh, Oregon, Georgia Tech, and then uh, Arkansas State. Uh, so it's just kind of cool. Uh, Ken Hatfield, um, you know, people from Arkansas right, may remember, right. obviously remember him. Um, and uh, my favorite is Ronnie Lott because you have your seating locations. And, and so I get to my – we had orientation in March, and they have – this is where you're going to sit when every, every week when you meet. And I look – to see who I'm sitting next to. It's Ronnie Law. I'll show you a picture here in a second. Oh, wow. So it's pretty cool. So, you know, and what, why that's special, and I wasn't a big 49ers fan, obviously, because why? You're I was a Cowboys, Cowboys fan, fan right? right? Okay, so, but but I always liked Ronnie Lott, and I always thought he was a great player, and, you know, I, I was kind of picked out players. And for decades, people, since I've got through playing, people say, now, where'd you play? I played Arkansas State. What position did you play? I played strong safety. And the next thing they say is, well, man, you're a big safety. I said, well, I played during the Ronnie Lott era, and everybody were just kind of Ronnie, Ronnie Lott, Atwire, and all those guys. Yeah, that's right. You know, they were all big guys, and uh, you know, Kenny Easley, and just big, big safeties. Were, and and there, and then now I get to sit next to him, and I tell him this story. I said, I said, so Ronnie, got I got to tell you this story. And I tell him, you know, I tell 
I tell everybody I played in the Ronnie Lott era, and now I'm sitting next to you. He goes, he goes, well, I wasn't that big. <laughs> and you know what? He's not. Wow. Which I would, you know, you saw him with his pads on, his neck roll. You look like, he looked like he was 230 on the field. But he said, I never played more at two, than 208 pounds. So I actually was about his. I mean, I yeah, was probably. I thought that. Yeah, I know because he was so big. So anyway, we had a nice. Uh, we had a nice uh, little uh, talk, and then he, after talking, he says, "Hey, you want to go grab a beer?" So grab a beer, and I was. So I get to go have a beer with Ronnie Lott. It was pretty cool. I watched him play all this year. So uh, after the meetings were over, and uh, so that was kind of fun, and uh, so that was a good story, and just getting to meet the different folks. And um, Ken Hatfield couldn't have been nicer. I know people that are listening from Arkansas, uh, just he just when I was appointed, the amount of people that reached out to me that were on the committee said, hey, you're going to love it. It's great. And, you know, I got notes. And Ken Hatfield was one of the ones that reached out to me, which was really neat. And Jeff Long and people like that. And so it's been a real uh, – we'll learn – we're actually going to be going back in a couple of weeks to have more meetings. And I'm going to learn a little bit more about the process. Uh, you know, um, I had a little idea of what – we were going to do it on a weekly basis, going to learn more. I think there's some conference reps. You, you, you rep a conference, you're assigned to a conference, and a couple conferences, I think. And uh, I'm going to learn all about that stuff here in a couple weeks. So the college football playoff committee, or football playoff, obviously, has uh, really put the spotlight on a certain amount of teams. But it also, to me, seems like, and I'd want your opinion on this, seems like it's also elevated the play and the the – maybe the prestige, if you will, of the group of five also, yeah. which Arkansas State's a part of. Is, is that how you feel about well, that? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that as the AD, not the CFP committee sure. member. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's what you're trying to get to. I mean, my, our goal and our vision has always been, since I've been here, is our, and I've said it, and I'm going to continue to say it, is our goal and our, and our, and our not just, I mean, it is an objective. Our objective is to be, the representative of the group of five in a New Year's Six Bowl. And, uh, and to the point where it's, it's, um, it's, it's just a matter of time. The only variable is time, actually, before we get there. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And I feel very strongly. My pictures are strong. That's going to happen. Um, so um, just the, the only variable is time. And so... So that's that's really important. So that's from the from the AD standpoint. So elevating why it, why it does I think bring a light is because when you have undefeated uh, group of five teams, you know obviously there's a lot of a lot of uh, chatter and a lot of national media saying do they belong in the playoffs and you know that's for the committees to decide. And I'm not gonna I won't talk about what how they were decided in the past because I went in the room. Um, and and I can tell you this I'm my job and my my directive from Bill Hancock is to pick the best four teams in college football. And that's what I'm going to do. And uh, um, what I think is the best four teams. Now, unlike, I know there's a lot of people that criticize the, you know, how selection versus the final four, how that's selected. I mean, you think about it from a final four standpoint, you win three games in March, you're automatically in automatic qualifiers. Okay. Your tournament starts in day one in college football. That's what I love about college football. The first on August, the, the last weekend in August, everybody across the country is playing college football. And that's when the tournament starts to see who can be in the final four or the, you know, the, the group, the, the CFP playoffs. So it's kind of cool versus, you know, you know, basketball is just, is very subjective. 
you know, so they have net ratings, power rankings, and all that stuff. I think that's the reason why Bill Hancock and his team have put together a bunch of people that understand football, and you've got a lot of qualified people that have the eye for it, and I feel, like, again, privileged and honored that I get to be one of those people in the room. Yeah, so one of the things that, that just me as a, a casual, maybe a little bit more than a casual fan, but as a fan see is the parity that there seems to be across college yeah. athletics, not just football, yeah. baseball, basketball, women's athletics. What, what do you think's contributed to that? I think a lot of it has to do with scholarship limits, and there's a lot more young people playing sports than ever before, and a lot more young people that are very um, – um, specific sports specific at a young age when I was coming up I mean you played three or four sports you know um, you don't start really you know playing other sports until maybe your junior or senior year I mean I, I played basketball football track um, you know I never was a baseball player I would have probably played soccer if it was if it would have been offered in the spring I would have played soccer over or over track. Uh, I just, you know, I hate I hate going left all the time. You know, <laughs> stay left. And so, uh, but uh, I had to, I did it to stay in shape for football. But uh, I think my junior year, I started just concentrating on football. I knew I had a uh, I had a, maybe a chance to play college football. But anyway, I think that's the, that's that's what you see. So you have a lot of sports specific. Um, <clears throat> leagues that are training kids at a younger age. And um, I think that's why you see more and more athletes and, uh, and, and, and people all develop at a younger, younger age or at a different, at different ages. So that's why you see, you know, a lot of NFL players come from group of five schools because they may have not been highly recruited or they were their high school. Now where I was from in Kansas, that wasn't a highly recruited state. You can imagine. And so, you know, I played running back, you know, in high school and uh, we platooned our high school. I had about 700 in my high school, my senior class. And so we platooned. I played running back and I needed to go get re-recruited because I wasn't getting recruited as a running back. So I went and played defensive back and then got re-recruited to Arkansas State. So uh, so that happens a lot. And, and I don't know if I answered your question, but that's... No, yeah, yeah I think so, you did. Yeah. Uh, transition just a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, football seems to be king these days i mean that's what most people think but what do college athletic programs do to support the other programs and then how do how do you think terry they can get the other programs engaged with the fan well football is football is i mean i came from a university prior to arkansas state that had an elite basketball program i mean the gen the they were making they were making as much we were making at the time. We were making as much money on men's basketball that most schools, including the autonomy five schools, were making on football. I mean, our revenue was significant, and and so the you know just to sit lower level that people don't realize, just to sit a lower level seat in Allen Fieldhouse at the University of Kansas would cost you a minimum of fifty thousand just to have your seats, and then you have to buy your seats fifty thousand a year. Wow. So um, you know um, that. And then you have a bunch of those people that are sitting lower level. It's on a point system. And so um, I think, you know, even though college football, but but I do believe most for the majority of um, athletic departments, whether you're in an autonomy five school or you're a group of five school, everything is built on football because if it's, it's a large event. Your gate receipts are built on your ticket revenue. And then obviously what your, your season tickets, as you know, as a, as a, um, as a support of Arkansas state, um, your sponsorships, your donations, 
your um, seat licenses, if you will. I call them donations, but there some people make NOMA seat licenses. That means the right to buy those seats at a certain donation level. And then obviously your revenues uh, really is what makes up your, and then, then what you get from TV is the other piece. I mean, when, when we were part of the, when we, when the Sunbelt went to part of the CFP contract, our revenues jumped significantly. And you just can't do that with college basketball. And how that helps is because of the revenues of college football going in. But for football, we aren't able to, we weren't, we wouldn't be able to fund the other sports like we would have when I first got here. Um, if you go and look at some of the presentations I made to some of our board of trustees and our chancellors and uh, Dr. Welsh and Dr. Danfus, you'll see our salaries have gone up like 38%. And that has greatly affected our women's sports. I've been able to fund uh, I've been able to fund more staffing for women's sports. And as a result, because of football and our way that we've been able to fund, our women's sports are better than they've ever been before. In the last five years, we've been ranked in the top, I think we've been ranked in the top 50 twice out of five years. And that's comparing yourself, top 50 women's athletes program, that's with like Stanford and UCLA and Texas and schools like Georgetown and Villanova and those types. You're ranked in the top 50. That's because of it. That's a direct result of the funding model that we've put together. So, as a player, yeah, you mentioned earlier you went through the recruiting process. Yes, right. Yeah, how's recruiting changed from then to today? Oh, they're they're just better athletes. <laughs> I mean, the process. I know. Of I'm just recruiting. Kidding, the process. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot more. Um, they have a lot more access to film. Uh, people don't probably go uh, un. There's there's probably not as many sleepers, um, even though. People develop it different, but they knew about them. They weren't. They probably weren't as good uh, when they were coming out of high school. Um, and just the film. I mean, it, when I was getting recruited, and when we were recruiting, when I was coaching, we were recruiting. We had to watch film of everybody. You you you're recruiting somebody in California, or recruiting someone in Detroit or Texas. You had to go. You had to go put a VHS in a little cassette, and you had to look at everybody, give everybody an honest day's evaluation. Now. I can look at it. Anybody, a kid commits to us via Twitter, and I can have their huddle tape. You can go right on to Twitter and see exactly their highlights. You can do that. You can say, well, that kid's pretty good. Or something you got instant information, you know, about grades and, you know, texting, email, and all that kind of stuff. So it's just the process is a lot easier. It doesn't mean it's a lot easier, but it's meaning to get information, but it's harder to keep kids. That's and, that's kind of what I was yeah. alluding to a little bit is how much more opportunity the kids have. Today. They have a lot more. They have a lot more opportunities. And in football, unfortunately, when a kid commits, that just means that other schools are coming in. Most sports, baseball, basketball, is when a kid commits, they don't. No, other schools don't. They don't uh, uh, try to get that kid to flip. But in football, for some reason. They try to get him to commit. Uh, so, um, you know, we had a young man that has, you know, seven SEC offers, and he's a local. I can't talk about him, but uh, he's a local kid and, and uh, um, not too far from here. And, you know, it's the whole, the whole idea that he's committed up via Twitter, but you're going to have to keep him well, for the I, next, you know, four or five months. I so, even noticed on some of the recruiting guys I follow on Twitter, yeah. they even have a section now for sleepers. 
Oh, so, so, they're, yeah. so they're tweeting out people who don't have a lot of uh, national prominence, but they're getting it just by social media. And people are making media. money. You know, they have recruiting services. They have seven-on-seven camps. So people have find, found a way to, to uh, uh, live off the money froth of these young people. And uh, unfortunately, we have some unscrupulous people in our uh, sure. profession. We also have a lot of wonderful people in our that have the right idea on how to help these young people. So you've been a player, yeah. been an assistant coach. Yeah. You played for Larry Lacewell. Yeah. How has – Well, he never he left before he our, left before our, you played? Before, before our season started. Okay, so you had – I came in as – yeah. You got a little taste of him. Yeah, no, I, he was good. I understand he was, he's pretty tough. No, he was good. He brought us in. I remember <laughs> he brought us in the first, uh, first uh, um, meeting and uh, basically told us what it's going to be like. And uh, you know, if you if you think that you're going to, I'll just use the word party, gonna yeah. go party. You better think again, you know. And 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 if you were partying, you better get all that stuff out of your system because that's not gonna that's not gonna fly here. So so I thought that was good. I, I didn't have to worry about it, but uh, but that was thought it was good. What have you seen, coaches have? How have they had to change since then? You know, you've played for coaches. Now you manage coaches. How, how have they had to change? Have they had to change? No question. The, the, how you coach young people now is a lot different than when I was playing. Uh, the feelings, uh, the sensitivity, the mental health is a huge part of our profession now. Um, we have a we have a mental health person, um, and you know some schools um, have four or five. Some schools have one like us, depending on your you know your your funding levels, and but it is mental health is is important as your training office, you know, with taping and prevention, care and prevention, that has been the biggest, the biggest issue because of why social media, you know, it's not really the mental health is not like, Hey, I have the yips and I can't, I can't make my uh, golf swing or I'm not able to make feed throws. That's not the issue. Those are all, that's a different deal. This is just about social issues. And that's the biggest thing that I've seen and, and how you coach them and knowing how to coach them through some of that stuff with the problems and issues. And so anyway, so those are some of the big issues and how, the, you know, I think the recruiting process, you have a lot of handlers, more, no, you know, if you will, in the ears, more in basketball, probably more than anything else, because it's such a, as opposed to football, but you have a lot of people that have outside influences on young, young people, then not that you didn't have that back in the days when Marcus Dupree was playing all that stuff, usually, but they usually were your, your ministers or your mom or something like that. But now you have a lot of other people that are involved in the process that are, you know, your seven on seven coach, your strength coach, your throws coach, your hitting coach, whatever your, your, you know, your, your golf swing coach, whatever it may be that has a lot of influence. So I know from being around you, you're very passionate about the fan base and the fan experience. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the challenge it, it would appear to me. How do we compete with the 70-inch TVs going forward in our football stadiums, basketball stadiums, yeah. baseball? Yeah. What, what's that challenge look like? How are we going to address well, that? Now they're 80-inch. That's true. <laughs> You can't keep up with it. So uh, it is a challenge, and you can see it across the country. So what you have to do is you have to create, create an experience, create an opportunity to have a good experience. How about say that? You can't create experience. People have to choose to have a good experience. Um, so um, what we do is we create more social um, areas that have more interaction with more people. 
you know, you still have your seats with at Arkansas State specifically. You know, if I believe if we were Texas or Michigan or Ohio State or, you know, Florida, we would be lauded as uh, innovators. And I, I really believe we are. Our north end zone is all loge boxes, bar stool, height. Um, chairs and loge boxes and that's all the seating's made up and they are little individual four-person boxes for people listening to this and you can stand up sit down and not be in the sight line behind the, with the person behind you they can still see the field well that happens is now that it gives you a different type of interaction you can bring kids in there they can they can move around they can play with toys they can watch ipads while you're watching the game and you can also socialize with people without being in their way and you don't have to worry about it. that became an and then on before the game starts, we let anybody that has seats in that location, the north end zone, come down into the tunnel and make a funnel, fan tunnel, uh, make a funnel and to you know um, high five the players as they run it. Those are the type of things that you can't get with an 80, 80 inch TV. So you have to create those opportunities. People that want to be social, you create those opportunities, the suites, the loge boxes, the club seats. Those are and you. You're you have club seats, right? So you know it's different. If you don't, if you want to be a hermit and you just want to sit in front of your TV, you're not going to get that person to come anyway. But if you want people that like to interact with people, then that that's how you have to create that. And also creating other features in the in the um, in the stadium. In our particular stadium, we created these water features, like water waterfalls or whatever you want to call them, um, to pay homage to the natural state. Um, we don't need more seats. We need more. We need more uh, features to create a difference, and to be a, have what what's unique about us. And now, when people come in, they see the beautiful rocks and boulders that were picked out in Central Arkansas, the landscaping that were all indigenous to the state of Arkansas. They can say, "Hey, this is the natural state," because we identify with the state too. There's, and I think you've seen some other schools in this state that have also copied our our uh, um, our formula. And as a result. With the, the Department of Tourism have sponsored those some of those water features because they want to be a part of it. And uh, when when we got our butts kicked by App State last year, um, the players they went over, took pictures in front of the water features, you know, because it's a cool thing. The cheerleaders when they all come in, opposing teams, donors, fan bases, they all want to take pictures in front of this because it's a cool feature. And it was a lot cheaper than putting in seats. So now you have just some uniqueness of how do you differentiate yourself from the rest of college football? How do you, you don't just build the biggest stadium. You create uniqueness and people remember you. I agree. Of course, I'm a big branding person. Yeah, and, so, and yeah. so I, we, we yeah. believe in 100%. And uh, I, I, for anybody listening that hasn't seen the water features, they ought, to just, they ought to just go look at them because they're, they're really nice, really nice. Uh, if, if you wouldn't care, just quickly – hit on what it takes to put on a game for ASU. I mean, there are people who are involved that don't get a lot of credit that are part of your team that, that make these things, in my opinion, pretty seamless. It's, it takes the whole entire athletic department. I mean, it really does. I mean, if I could draft some head head foot, uh, head uh, coaches, I would take them too. Um, you know, depending on where you are, um, you know, some schools – Give me an example, Kentucky. Everyone in the athletic department works fo football games. I was on the sideline at Kentucky, and I'm talking to this guy, and I find out he's the head baseball coach. 
I said, well, he goes, I go, what do you do? He goes, I'm the sideline guy. So I think depending, I don't, I don't require all of our coaches to work the games, but pretty much everybody else works all the games. And it is, it is, they, we got a great staff. I wouldn't trade them for any school in America. Um, our Red Wolves Foundation runs all the premium areas. And then I have a game management group that runs the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the stands, the manpower, the parking lots and all that kind of stuff. Then I have media relations people that run that area. And then we have, you know, we, we, we hire about 45 police officers uh, um, in our state police or local or Jonesboro police uh, to come work the games. So we're paying there. We're hiring. So it's a, it's a nice economic boom too. Because when we have game days, you have 20,000 people, they're buying groceries, you know, they're for tailgating, they're buying food, there's, you know, buying drinks. So it's a little bit of a circle of life. And uh, so we're employing a lot of people, but yeah, there's someone in someone, there's a point person for every area. Um, you know, and they have weekly meetings and to go over the different things. And, and, you know, we have, we, all the way to the, when the team comes in to Red Wolf, we, the state police grabs them or the Jonesboro police, I should say, brings them in and, you know, and, 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 um, gives them a police escort to, and you got to have safety for them as well. And, you know, just, I mean, there's just a lot of elements to it and, um, um, you know, I'm missing, I'm sure I'm missing a lot of things, you know, whether you know, ice and waters and you're not, you know, all, I mean, all the different things that, yeah. So there's a lot to it. Well, kind of the point yeah. is that there's so much of that. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with yeah, all those people need a, yeah. need a shout out every now and then. Plus, they do. So uh, transition a little bit. We've talked more about college athletics in general. You have hit on ASU some, but I want to talk a little bit more about Arkansas state. Yeah. Uh, visit a few minutes about that. Then we'll, then we'll wrap this thing up. But, uh, obviously red wolves, our mascot today yes. has, hasn't always been that way. Used to be the Indians. You and I grew up that way. We're, we're about, Indians. We're about the same age. Yeah. And so what has that brand change done for Arkansas State? Well, I think I was a little irritated. I'm sure you were too when they first decided to, to change it. Um, you know, why is the NCAA telling us to change it and all that stuff? And um, why did the Seminoles get to keep theirs and everybody, you know, sure. like all the Utes and the alumni get to keep theirs and we had to change ours. Um but it was the best thing that ever happened. Um, it's a unique, again, talking about unique, it's a great logo. It's a great people, logo. Uh, people love it. We have wonderful colors. I'm still partial to black over red, but uh, that's just my background. You remember, We didn't wear red very much. Yeah, we were all black. Right. We were yeah. all black pretty much. Um, and so I think that's, I, you know, so I think it's done a really, a, a lot of uh, um, uh, Great branding, you know. Obviously, red wolves are an endangered species, so it's a really it's it's indigenous to this part of Arkansas and other parts of the southeast. Um, you know, I, so I, and it's a it's a pack. You know, it's a really cool animal that has they they run in a pack. So there's a lot of uh, metaphors that can be associated with the the red wolves, as opposed to just the Indians. And you know, and and you know, let's 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 face it. Probably the running Joe when I was in school probably is not the most the best logo. Um, so I know they changed the logo up a little bit, but I mean, it's, it's been a fantastic thing. It's the best thing that's ever, that I think our school's ever done. I Jay's agree with you. And, and a lot as of far people, as branding wise, a lot of people don't know this. The, the Red Wolf head was actually created by the ASU yes. marketing yeah. group yes. internally, that's which is a, a big deal. And what I've, what I've been, wouldn't really call it surprise maybe, but, uh, what I've been the most proud of is how kids have taken to it. I mean, you, you see kids all over Northeast Arkansas 
that are wearing the yes. brand, yes. which is a huge deal because yeah. they're growing up as Red Wolves fans. And I, you know, I'll, I'll send you know shirts or I'll send uh, t-shirts to other people around the country, uh, friends of mine, and they say, "Hey, send me some Red Wolf gear or something like that." And I'll send them stuff. They wear it proud. They absolutely love it. They think it's cool. They love the colors. I mean, you know, guys have gone to Florida, you know, UCLA, Texas, and people like that. They'll send me, you know, pictures of them playing golf out in California or Florida, and they got their Red Bulls gear on there. They got a lot of people ask me about it, so it's cool. So, I mean, it's good good marketing, good branding. And uh, um, and people, you know, I think we've, we've you know, sometimes the association, we're, we're a regional school. We're trying to be a national school. Uh, you know, I think the association with the Wolfhead, and Arkansas State doesn't always correlate, so we've we've tweaked some of the linear logos to make it a little bit more um, brand recognizable and associated. So you, we have the new logo that says Arkansas, Arkansas with Wolfhead and then State, and so that way people can kind of equate the two together. So, so just being around you and your program, I've personally seen the passion that you have for the student athletes. Yeah. So one of the programs that, that Arkansas State and you yourself put into play is the Red Wolves Leadership Academy. Yes. Would you mind speak to that? Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of that program. Well, I want you to speak about that program. You know, people can come and look at all the facilities and see all the stuff that's being built, but there's nothing. All that pales in comparison to what we do. The day the, those young people sign the National Letter of Intent. And I have a little saying, in a lie till you die. The day that you sign that National Letter of Intent to the day you die, you'll always be a Red Bull. We are judged by our alumni. We are judged by people like Kelly Phipps, Mike Beebe, Randy Woodard, people like that that are great alumni, great representatives of Arkansas State. That's the best braining you can do for Arkansas State when they see successful people, men and women, and say, where did that person go to school? How did that person get to where he's, well, they got their education on the stage. Well, that must be a great place. If I'd like to do that, people like to emulate. You become great role models and you don't even know it. Surely by the place you went, Harvard's Harvard, not because of the students that are at Harvard right now. Harvard's because of what people do after they graduate. So our model's a little different. We focus on as much what you do after you graduate then while you're there, yes, we want you to score lots of touchdowns, make lots of tackles, score score baskets, home ones, hit home runs, all that good stuff, aces, everything you can think of, any any type of analogy for sports you can think of. But at the end of the day, you have two opportunities. You have an opportunity to change your environment, and you have your opportunity to change your circumstances for life. I talked a little bit about this at the beginning of this podcast, okay? Son of an immigrant. I, I can tell you a lot of young people, first generation, I think last year with 30 to 5, 40% of our students, student athletes in our particular population were first generation. And no matter what I tell them, I don't care if you're from an affluent family or you're from a family that doesn't have as much. You have two opportunities. Change your environment. That's come to college. What can college do for you? College can help you change your circumstances for life. Break that cycle. It can help right here. So what that Leadership Academy does is after their freshman, sophomore year, they take their core classes. We put them into a Leadership Academy that helps them develop into what they want to do. We don't talk about NFL, NBA, pro golf. We don't talk about that stuff. If you make it great, that's a job. Okay, we'll help you. But if you think enough of us to sign that National Letter of Intent, 
We think enough of you to guarantee you a job or graduate placement. Okay? So we start them off. We find out, young man, Kelly Phipps, golfer. I, I said golfer. I should have said football player. No, football you should have said golfer. That's a lot closer <laughs> than football player, I assure you. Okay, so Kelly Phipps, the golfer, comes in and says, hey, I want to be an accountant. Or I want to work in the agri business. So what I do is we say, okay, we'll start you now. We need to get you with Randy Woodard is in the agri business. Young guy, he's, you know, is, he's a guy that's made it. He loves Arkansas State. And so we find a mentor for him. So they have a leg up so when they graduate. Okay? So, but in six years, I've been here for seven years and it started a year after. In six years, we've had 100% graduate uh, 100% job placement and graduate placement, 100%. And they're kids from all over the country. They're going, they're going to Boston. They're going to Kansas City, Dallas, Florida, Memphis, Birmingham, uh, Oklahoma. And we're placing young people all over the country. And the greatest compliment we can get is a hiring manager come and say, you know what, send me another Kelly Phipps. He was great. How do we do that? How do we become, how do we help them become very attractive in the job market? Okay. Well, they've got the discipline. I, I say that all the time. Everything you want to know about what you need to do is you learned in Little League. You got to give great effort. You got to be a good teammate and you got to be coachable, right? So you got to give, you got to give insane effort. You have to work well with your colleagues and you have to take good direction and give good direction, right? Three things. You learned it in Little League, but people don't take it. So we teach that all the time, all right? So you got to be prepared for that. So once you get your job, uh, you know what? So you have those three elements, okay? You have the academic requirements. You're graduating. So what else do you, what else, what other attributes can you have that makes you attractive, our student athletes, our particular population, uh, attractive to a hiring manager, one of the things that we offer that no one else in the school or the country does is a formal study abroad. People talk about global education, okay? So every rising senior has an opportunity to study abroad before their last year of eligibility. In the last five years, we've had five study abroad groups go, football, uh, basketball, volleyball, golfs, tennises, they all, they all go, we went, first three years went to London, last two years went to Barcelona. Because I found out that if you have a study abroad and you have global education on your resume, that you're 97% more likely to get a job in the first year after you graduate than those who don't. Those who study abroad, salaries are 25% higher than those who don't study abroad. So now all of a sudden, I've got a piece of paper for people listening in front of me. I put my resume on there and I've got, okay, I'm a team player. I'm disciplined. I've graduated from a great institution. I give great effort. I'm coachable. I I take good direction and I have global education. You would be a fool not to hire this young person, right? That's what we're doing. We're creating great alums of Arkansas State because why? we talked about this beginning of this rant was you're judged by your alumni. And, and obviously you have a personal connection to this too. Sure. So that's why I wanted that story to come out. I think kind of the final thing here uh, we, we would talk about Arkansas state has kind of over the last six or seven years been known as the coaching funnel. So every time you watch an Arkansas state game, 
they put up on the screen. Gus Malzahn, Hugh Freeze, Brian Harston, all the people who've been coaches. The biggest thing for me on this one, and we talked about this before yeah. we started, is just give us some interest. You know, what were some interesting things that happened during that time? I think people are well would love to know. The only the real challenge is scholarship numbers, is because you lose a lot of players, and the way the NCAA works is every. Every signing class is only 25. And if you lose coaches, if you lose players because of a coach or, if they, or a new coach comes in and they, they don't fit the system and they want to leave, you don't get that scholarship back. So when Blake first got here, we had about 56 scholarships. You can have 85. So the fact that we were able to maintain some postseason success was important and win two conference championships. You know, there's only been four schools in America that have gone to eight straight bowl games and five conference championships in the last eight years. Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Arkansas State. The only difference is we did it with four different coaches. Oklahoma did it with two different coaches. Now, you asked about some of the things that some of the – yeah, there's some funny um, uh, stories. My favorite one was when Gus was here – and you know, I got here in September uh, when Gus was here, so I was here for most of the season. But I missed like the first two or three games. And uh, um, I'm I flew up with to the uh, college football Hall of Fame dinner, which is most ads and head football coaches go to that every year. And I flew up with Gus in a in a plane, and I'm sure he was negotiating with Auburn the whole way there, and his agent was doing whatever. And anyway, I, I take a cab to the hotel with him. I'll, I got it, Gus. I, I, got the, <laughs> I got the cab. I'm taking it. And so then I'm wondering. And then I went and go met with this uh, private equity guy um, in New York that I was trying to get to buy my. Uh, New scoreboard. Cause remember the old scoreboard that had the black line yeah. in it? Okay. So I was like, I got to do something about the scoreboard. That's the first thing I got to do. But anyway, uh, um, it was so bad. Anyway, so I'm meeting, I'm meeting this guy in Soho at his private club. Soho is a pretty, for people that's never been there, it's a pretty posh area. Very swanky, uh, very trendy. Uh, and I'm in there, and I'm, I'm literally, Jamie Foxx walks in and starts playing the piano. Those are the people that know who Jamie Foxx is. He's the guy that played uh, Ray Charles um, in, in Ray, the movie Ray. And so I think they were filming that at the time, I, I believe, or they were doing something. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they already. he was just coming back for a cameo just to play. I don't know. But anyway, and I'm listening. I'm like, this is really cool, man. I'm getting to little J.J. Foxx and the guy I'm with. He's like, this is the kind of places. This is really cool, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I get, I look up down on my phone and it's Gus Malzahn. And I was like, he's like, hey, I just won't let you know. I'm going to go to Auburn. I'm, I'm like... And I had the dinner that night, and I literally was like, because hey, I'm, I'm flying on the plane back today, so Auburn had a pain. They didn't offer me a ride back to Jonesboro. <laughs> and so I, the one thing I wanted to do, I wanted to be here to tell the players and say, we're going to get somebody good, don't worry about it. And I wasn't able to do that, so I got the first plane back, and I'm running through airport like, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, just because some of your listeners will, OJ in the Hertz commercial, uh, you know, I'm running over, running over, jumping over chairs and all that stuff, and can't jump as good as I used to, <laughs> so try to make planes, and I got here, and, uh, but anyway, that was kind of one of the things, one of the funny stories, and I missed it, and so I had my chance at the time, uh, Tim Hudson, go meet with the team and then we we hired a coach in six and a half days and um which is really interesting it takes chancellors almost it takes about a year to do a chancellor search and you're one of your highest profile uh coaches you, you hire in six 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 seven days so um 
That's a, that's one of my favorite stories, just because I remember it. I really appreciate you coming in and, and uh, talking to us today. I, I think it's going to be great for people to hear. College football starts what August thirty first, yeah. right? So, yeah. Well, I think it starts. There's a week zero. I think there's one. There's a game before the the week one, but uh, it's good. Well, we really appreciate you coming by. Thanks for having me. This is the Seedcast, brought to you by Armor Seed. Start strong, plant armor.